0: to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and
1: dumb shit. I'm Dave. I'm Chris. How are you? I'm very, very good. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy we're here recording in Chelsea, New York City. We are back in the place where it all began
0: for me. I spent uh, like 20 years, no, 17, 18 years in this apartment. Yeah. And then... Maybe a little bit less. Almost 18 years in this apartment. And then I left. Never to return, until now, to do dopey. Yeah. But we've returned before to do dopey. Yeah. And I spent a couple nights here, dope sick, and on drugs, too.
1: And you spend a night here and there. Here, I remember... Here's a little dopey. um, Back in
0: the day, when I was... uh, I had just gotten fired from my big job. um, And I hadn't yet gone to rehab real rehab i was like an outpatient detox and yeah I was getting unemployment yeah and like i was telling everyone i was clean and i was like scraping money together and selling cds and selling whatever i had to like buy dope and uh it was just when napster had started yeah and i would come here during the day while my parents would be wherever they would be i would come here all high and I'd sit in my old bedroom and I'd make mixes on Napster and make burn CDs. And I'd be like, well, even if they take my computer, I'll always have these CDs.
1: <laughs> these will, will, will last me forever. Oh, my God. I forgot about Napster and burning CDs. And I loved that. Napster was, like, the greatest thing ever when it came out. It was just so cool. Because and then the, you got relegated to, like, LimeWire or whatever. LimeWire
0: blew compared Lime, to Napster. LimeWire sucks. And nothing was what it was supposed to be on LimeWire. It would say it was something, and then it would be something else.
1: No, it was always something else. But uh, that was classic back then. I would come here and... Napster was the same days as me, same time period as me, on Arrowhead, looking stuff up and just reading about drug and, like, trip reports and getting whatever I could get my hands on, including, like, you know, robo-tripping, like, DXM, like, anything, you know? It's just so funny that I would sit here, right here, high
0: getting music and then i'd run i'd leave like as soon as i could like before my
1: parents would get home that's so funny you know yeah um oh my god i remember in those days i would (laughs) the aeroid days i was like i was like 13 and there was this website and it doesn't i think the the domain still registered to someone but like it doesn't exist anymore and it was like it was kind of like the trip reports for Arrowhead, but it was one guy and it was psychonaut.org Psychonauts. psychonaut. Like yeah. an astronaut, but a psychonaut. Yeah. Yeah. And so he would just, like, publish all these, like, he'd say exactly what sort of hallucinogenics he took and what happened, and sometimes he'd write them while he was tripping, sometimes he'd write them after. And I was just, like, little kid, like, fucking 13 years old, robo-tripping, like, getting whatever I could, you know, get my hands on, taking tons of Dramamine, like, just stupid shit like that. And uh, I would email him, and I'd be like, I remember the movie What Dreams May Come was coming out, like, the previews were on. And I would email him and be like, "Hey man, like I love your website. Like, what do you think would happen if I took ketamine and watched What Dreams May Come?" <laughs> what did he say? I remember like he responded and he kind of like I, from whatever. What is like, What Dreams May Come? It was some movie with Robin Williams that like looked trippy in the previews. And I remember he responded and he was like kind of alarmed at like who was reading his stuff and like the influence he was having. He said something like. Kind of like an adult would to a child who like who shouldn't take drugs. I'm sure he was I don't an remember adult. exactly what it was. But that was my concern with Dopey, is that we get shit like that all the time. We don't. We've gotten a couple. We've gotten one email I remember from some kid who was like sixteen or seventeen and it was really long and he just told us like every drug he'd ever done. And there was like no story, there was no point. There's like he was just basically like, I did all these drugs. The end.
0: I hope that the Dopey nation realizes it's funny because, like, this reminds me of the other day Chris texts me and he goes, listen to Bob Forrest, Don't Die, episode, episode five. five. We should play it right now. Yeah. Pause it. No, I'm going to have to pause it. Keep going. And uh, I'm like, just tell, I was, I was with my dad and my daughter and we were, like, getting ice cream and I was like, just tell me what it says. And he was like, no. No. You have to listen. And I was like, just tell me, man. I can't listen. And I was dying to hear it. And then we got And upstairs. then are you happy? You, no. I would have rather you just told me. Right. So. Should I play it? Yeah, sure. All right.
2: Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. da 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 this is the Don't Die podcast. It's modeled after a combination of a addiction podcast, your typical self help, you know, boring as shit podcast, <laughs> and Dopey, this other podcast these friends of mine do in back east. And Chuck and I, I was on it, Dopey, when I was back east, and Chuck was thought it romanticizes drugs too much. So then I thought, well, I want to talk. I want to start a no-holds-barred kind of... Oh, wait a uh, second. You just threw me under the bus <laughs> with them. Chuck said. Well, Chuck said. No, he's... Well, it does... Hey, I'll admit it romanticizes drugs. What? <laughs> I romanticize drugs. You him. know what? No. My, guy, my, my
0: My wife loves you guys. So I, I gotta say that. Maybe I'm a what she He, say, he, say? he well, says you know his wife loves, my, loves us. But anyway... Really? So yes, yeah. I didn't hear him say that before, did you? I him. did. Oh. Listen, maybe I'm just a fucking idiot or I don't pay attention to dopey. I don't think we
1: romanticize drugs at all. We do a little bit, but we temper it with some real good recovery talk occasionally. No, I think maybe in the first
0: 20 episodes. In the first one, we
1: yeah, we don't romanticize it anymore. But I do, like, I know myself. Maybe listening I to tell stories, access- and I get ex- I get excited, and even just the inflection in my voice, there's a romantic, like, feeling sort of behind it. Sometimes when I retell stories, I think... But it's not like I'm glorious and you should do this. Like when I think romanticizing drugs, like that's what I think. I don't do that. But when I tell the story, sometimes I get a little fired up. It's funny because in
0: the last episode, I was looking. The word I was looking for was romantic. (laughs) I was like telling the story (laughs) about tripping and driving out, you know, out to the whatever. Yeah. Um. I guess that's romanticizing drugs. Yeah. But it's like I don't feel like it's like that. We're telling a story about drugs that ultimately. Put us both in a situation of utter despair. Yeah. You know, in a situation where there was no hope, our life seemed like it was over, and misery lasted for a long time.
1: Yeah. I was miserable for a long time. Totally. Me too. But the other thing, the flip side, and like, some people think this is hogwash and like, boiled down crap, but um, I'm grateful that I'm a drug addict. Like... I'm forced to basically lead a decent life and be an honest, like, upstanding human being because I can't afford to live shadily or I will die. Whereas if I wasn't afflicted, then I could skate that line.
0: Not to mention, it's like you told that story about um, Erwin and the man that influenced you is a man called Psychonaut.
1: This is name is the name. I I understand.
0: Nobody names their child (laughs) psychonaut. Joe is the name. I understand. My point is, we're all the we were these adventurers, these psychonauts exploring the landscape of our psyche with these substances. It was uh, an adventure to 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 go to the edge of whatever. I remember, like I was so stupid when I was a kid, and we would get we would get really stoned and, and we'd take acid and. We would say, "Are we gonna? Are we gonna get to the other side?" Yeah, we would always say that. Yeah, you know, because like, cause it would be so rare that you did. That's
1: what we were seekers. You know? That's what it is. So, like,
0: I, I I appreciate what you just said in terms of like to be grateful for having been a drug addict or being a drug addict because you need to live upright in order to uh, not die, basically. Yeah, and then all the other spiritual benefits that come from doing the next right thing, you know. But like. You have to do them, because the second there's a chink in your armor, and believe me, there's a lot of chinks right now... Are you talking to me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, so be careful, my, my, my friend, Mr. Yeah. Upright Man, um, Upright Citizen Brigade I just can't wait here. to prove you wrong. I can't wait either. I cannot wait. We don't
1: think it's going to happen. Uh, Dude. We that. can't even go here. we got to stop talking about this. I'm just saying, we're, we're as, upright, as upright nation. as you may be, like...
0: It's true that, that the fact – I'm not going to take it to the other place, yeah. which is that you're not upright. You're yeah. a lying, manipulative son of a bitch. You already did that a few episodes ago. Listen, I don't think that that is the, the number one Chris attribute. I think yeah. Chris is kind and smart and caring and would prefer to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, I'm all, and I never like to say that I'm grateful for being an addict. And, and, but I, I, I appreciate what you just said, and I, I feel the same way.
1: I also, like... Well, that's why I preface it with the saying, like, I, some people think it's hogwash. I love when you say hogwash, because you can barely <laughs> I pronounce think it the I a hog, lot of people say... Hogwash. Yeah, a lot of people say, like, it is hogwash, but even looking at my own life, like, you know, I fucking broke my neck, had my spleen removed, a brain, a brain injury. I had, like, physical fucking problems, like, the, from a direct result of my addiction. I was in jail. I overdosed so many times. I fucked up my family, you know what I mean? And, like, all that stuff granted, like... I really wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go back and change it, and that's because I'm like grateful and happy with the life I have today. And I think it's good for the dopey nation here that who's struggling because it's like I didn't think that was possible when I was in the throes of addiction, and to, so- to have value in your life and to be happy with like what's going on. Well, I, fully- I still hate myself a lot of times, but-, but you don't
0: hate yourself more than you're, you're happy to be around. Yeah, like you're kind of happy to be. You're kind of happy to hate yourself. Exactly. You're, comfortable, that's you're very, very <laughs> comfortable to hate yourself. <laughs>
3: that's
1: very.
0: That's you know, true. It's like I'm a,
1: comfortable with my uncomfortability. Or you, yeah,
0: getting there. Yes. And um, mostly, I would say yes. And um, I had something interesting to say, but I don't remember what it was. We should call this guest because we got to do that. Are now. we right there? Yeah. I didn't right tell you there are the stories I want to tell.
1: Let's tell them after the guest. Like, will you introduce the guest before I call her? Do you just think just she, she, tell her a little bit about she, her. Do you
0: think she minds having her whole full name in there? I know. I think it's fine. All right. This is Tracy Helton Mitchell, who is an author, um, and she is a recovering heroin addict, and she is a... Um, she's a, in a movie. She's in a movie. Well, she's also a drug counselor, yeah. and she was in a, a documentary in 1999 called uh, Black Tar Heroin, The Dark End of the Street... She's been featured by CNN, Anderson Cooper, Vice, the Huffington Post, and the New York Times. She lives in San Francisco, and she's got kids, and she's married. Wow, you just remember that all off the top of your
1: head? Yeah, and her book is (laughs) called The Big Fix Hope After Heroin. All right, and we're calling her. Let's hope the food doesn't come while we're. It will. It probably will, won't it? Hi, it's Tracy.
4: Hey,
1: Tracy, it's Chris. Chris. What's going on? Not a lot. So you're on the show. We're recording right now.
4: Hey.
1: Hey, um, Tracy. I'm Dave. How are you? I'm good. So we're, we're, we're big followers of your
0: Instagram page, and we think uh, your Instagram page is great and super funny. So thank
1: you for that.
3: Oh, thanks.
1: Um, we did a little introduction, um, about yourself, um, but before we get started and just, um, have you share a little bit more of your story and and whatnot, um, I just wanted to familiarize you a little bit with our show. So, um, it's a little taboo and controversial in the treatment community. I don't know. Have you heard of it or? I read a
4: little bit about
2: it.
1: Okay. So basically what we do is we tell like a little bit, I hate to use the term war stories, um, but, um... We tell some, like, crazy, funny stuff that happened from using, and then um, we temper it with a little bit of, like, recovery talk. So we were wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your trajectory, what happened, if you got a story, throw that in there, and then uh, tell us how you got to the other side and what you're doing with your life now.
4: Sure. Uh, So I'm Tracy Hilton, also known as Tracy Hilton Mitchell, and I'm famous for being a junkie. And when I say that, it's half half joking and half not joking. Uh, I'm also well-known for pulling my pants down in the HBO documentary, Black Tar Heroin the Dark End of the Street. Uh, so I wrote a book called The Big Picks, Hope After Heroin. So basically, um, I started using opioids heavily when I was around 19 or 20 years old. Um, I had the typical, had my teeth pulled and, uh, you know, experienced what it was like to get some opioids and uh, really, really enjoyed that experience, especially being a fat, depressed teenager and, you know, having that feeling like not caring anymore once those, you know, drugs went into my body. But I was pretty straight-laced, so I didn't really get into drugs or booze that much until I got a little older. When I was in college, I had got out of this really super shitty relationship and, start using really heavily, and that sort of spiraled into um, just a whole range of things I would have never imagined. Um, I came out to California on spring break from Cincinnati, Ohio, and ended up strung out in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, which is half open-air drug market, half toilet, um, you know. Like homeless encampment, it was very different now than it is. Um, it's very different than than it is now because of uh, gentrification and stuff. It's changed
3: was,
0: quite what, a bit. But I was, was there. I was there back then. It's real serious, serious spot. Tracy, could you tell us though the first time you got dope? What was that? How'd that happen?
4: So back in the dinosaur junkie era, uh, you know when we used to get together with our connections by typing on stone tablets uh and had to use pathons and stuff like that. Um I lived in Westchester, Ohio, which is outside of Cincinnati, and it was very difficult to get heroin and outside of like really big cities back then. I mean you could get it but it was it was like a whole ordeal. So I had friends that used to go back and forth um, to New York City or Philadelphia, and they would buy it, and they would bring it back. So, of course, you know, um, they were digging in the bags on the way back or whatever. Uh, You know, it was just this whole thing of trusting other junkies to go get you, whatever. So, my friend and I had decided that we were going to eat heroin, and it was this whole ordeal, you know, we didn't want to put our money up front and send them with the money. So, it was like $30 a bag for these tiny, tiny little bags, but we wanted to try heroin. So, the bags were stamped 666, um, and we, there was, like, the junkies that were going to shoot us up, and then there was me and my, my friends, and we all had to chip in for these bags. And uh, so it was my turn. I was allowed to be the last person to go, and then when my friend's other friend went, they overdosed and had to be revived, and they did the whole thing where they grabbed the table and they had the death grip, and then... We had to drag you know because they didn't have naloxone back then had to drag him and put him in all the stupid shit that you do that doesn't actually do anything put him in the shower and yeah. um, you know this whole traumatic event and then, so he finally woke up and then they were like well do you want to use yours and I was like of course but really in my mind I'm like completely terrified this whole thing has just happened but you know I was the person putting up the money so said well like, of course I want to do it and they were like oh we'll just give you half because they, they wanted my half too that was a whole other sort of thing uh, and so that was my first time doing it. I puked all over, puked everywhere, puked in the shower, puked on the floor, yes, everywhere puked. And then uh, I remember it was snowing, and we drove—I drove, you know, high as shit—down to uh, to drink vodka and cranberries at the bar, and was like nodding out the whole time. And that was that was my first time. Hmm using heroin and, uh, you know, it was the whole, the whole experience that I had wanted, but also uh, I didn't realize, you know, what it was going to, how it was going to impact the rest of my life. Right.
0: Were you like, I need to move to San Francisco because I can get tar there? Was that the, was that the (laughs) thought?
4: (laughs) Oh, so, you know, in making, so I had decided to come out to California on spring break and, um, you know, I had the choice of either going to New York or San Francisco and I, I said, well, you know, I knew the places I could get heroin. Like, really, by this time, addiction was driving the car. But, you know, heroin was very difficult there, so I did heroin, but it wasn't, like, something I got all the time. Um, but I wanted to take, basically, like, a little dread vacation and go somewhere. And I thought, oh, I'll just go out there for the days. You know, that was when you still think that little um, addiction thing is that thing in your head, even though I had... You know, did morphine sulfate for a few days and uh, four or five days, and had serious withdrawal. But well, I thought, you know, this is kind of this thing that's in your head. And I, I got out to California, I could not believe it. I mean, you know, we were using the same syringe. I think the whole first year that I used intravenous drugs, I used the very the same syringe. Like we didn't have syringes. I came out here and. It was, you could get syringes. People
1: were sleeping <laughs> outside. You, Wait, sorry. Just, just, to, just to reiterate, you used the same syringe for almost a year? Yes. Oh, my God. Wow. I think so I, we would file it. We would sharpen I mean, but I wasn't
4: using it. It's not like I was using every day, but I was, I was using
1: and it. It wasn't just me. It was, like, all of my
4: friends. Yeah,
1: wow. Same did syringe. So you take, did you take really good care of it, that it one pull, syringe? You
4: would pull. When you'd pull it out, it would pull, like, a fish hook. It would, like, pull your skin back with it. Like, if you were shooting Coke or something like that, you'd be really concerned that it was going to break off in your friend's
1: arm before he got a chance to get to you. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> was that like the and coveted, I, was that the one? And
0: still
4: places like that in the United States today where that, that's their access. They don't have access to syringes.
0: Yeah, totally. So you couldn't find another syringe. So you were like, no. it, it's like precious one syringe, the one syringe mm. to get everyone high. Mm. And like, where did you get the one? And then why didn't you just get it? Where would you get the first you couldn't one? buy it. You, yeah. There's no needle exchangers or nothing. I inherited the syringe
4: from someone else. And mm. as a matter of fact, um, I went home to dry out in like the middle of the 90s. And I think I still have that same syringe hidden in my mom's. You know, hidden in my mom's house somewhere
3: oh because God.
4: I didn't know if I was going to get another one. I mean, it was it was really really bad. Um, you know, I think I ended up, at some point. I ended up getting another source. I mean, if I knew people. They used to these people that used to shoot cocaine. They would go to the med supply place and get themselves butterfly clips, and they would hook themselves up with a butterfly clip and an IV syringe that would drip saline, and they would and they would hit themselves in the sh- saline port so they wouldn't have to mess with yeah, using the same syringe
1: over and over again. They would just, they would just get the just in, inject into a port. and hook themselves to IVs and do coke for two days. Oh, my God. So yeah, Tracy, I was in jail for a bit, and I used a binky, which was probably up 20 guys' asses throughout the years it was there. Oh, yeah. And the only part of the syringe that was actually from an original syringe was, like, the metal needle. The rest was, like, the shaft of a pen, a piece of a shower sandal, um, elastic from, you know, shower shorts and Afro pick. It was literally just jury rigged into this, like, little flimsy piece of crap.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing <laughs> that I look back on the things that I've done to myself and, like, um, you know, I cleared the hepatitis C virus by myself. I mean, back then we all would just be, our eyes would be um, yellow from hepatitis A. We'd have hepatitis, I mean, I've had hepatitis A, B, and C. And, uh, I mean, we t- it's just the things we used to do to ourselves. Um, I've seen so many, like, abscesses, lancing my own abscesses. I almost lost my leg from, like, treating my own abscesses. And there would be, like, three of us sitting on the sidewalk, like, popping our abscesses all at the same time with our, like, dirty fingers.
5: Oh, my Like, God.
4: squeezing them and competing around the pus that would come out, the, like... How much could you get the core out of the abscess would be, like, the contest?
1: Oh, my God.
4: And like, having, having head lice. I remember one time, me, my friend, and my other friend, we all took our body lives from our body and put them on the bottom of the Taco Bell cup and had them fight and, like, see what they would do oh on the bottom God. of the cup. Because we didn't have anything else to do. And we were, like, tweaking. And we're just like, okay, let's, let's let them have addicts. We had nothing to do.
1: So you were a pretty bad addict. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, I, I mean, they, uh, it's interesting, you know, they say in the program the problems where you stop dating. I don't believe in any of that shit, because I've seen, bo- I mean, I, I've i seen horrors past Leaving Las Vegas, you know, past, uh, any Hubert Selby Jr. book, like really, like, horrible shit that would, that is amazing, not only that I'm clean, but I'm in my right mind, um, I just, you cannot not believe it. Where that portal where hell will take you when you're in certain parts of addiction, um, and yeah, I
1: was and I was a full participant in all of that. Hmm. Um, okay, so you were in the the tenderloin in the '90s. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more, basically, um, about your use? If you want anything else, you want to add, and then sort of what happened, what was the change of mind? You know, how did you get sober? What the process look like?
4: Well, I. I'm living as kind of a stray, existing in the center line I mean, I went through all the different sort of cycles of using. So, when I was cute, I did some, you know, hooking or whatever. Got a ton of that because I ended up getting this old sugar daddy who's from the per- who's in the rooms actually. He was like seventy, and I was twenty. Whoa! One, I think or whatever. So but it was a full Viagra, so there wasn't a lot he could do. It was like potatoes you know, being mashed into a pile. It was really a lot. It was a lot to deal with. I had to be mm-hmm. really, really high to deal with him. And then he helped me out, and then I went on methadone, and then I got into meth, and then I had the mass here. I was going when she on, one she off, talking to myself, um, in a tenderloin barefoot. And and then I went, and I was like, oh, I really need some sleep. And I went back to heroin, and then they thought I was HIV positive a couple different times. Yeah, because this was in the era of AIDS, we used to call it. Um, when everybody was dying of AIDS, and, and they people thought it was God's that you know natural retribution that we would all die. So um, then I ended up not having that a few different times. I had a few different scares, and um, and then at the very end I was using everything. I mean I was using the last day I used I used speed, heroin, crack, um, alcohol, weed. Uh, it's, you know, it was just a lot. I mean I had all my little hustles. Sometimes I would sell syringes, I, I, mean, I was selling for the low level Mexican cartel. People look at the end. Um I had all the drugs I wanted, but I had no veins left. I was like injecting the bottoms of my feet in between my fingers, my hmm. stomach, my pits, like and I had you know, in the course of using I had thirty four abscesses, so they could call me abscess cleaning not go to jail I always had these abscesses and I was just I had decided I was going to die uh, if I didn't stop using drugs. If I didn't know to stop, so it's interesting when it, it was just fun. Yeah, it, yeah. was like, why did this get out of jail? Hold I'm on, going Tracy. To-
0: Tracy, say that again. We lost you there for a second. Hold on
4: one second. Okay, three get- seconds. Don't worry. Shut the door. So that's one of my kids. Um. <laughs> So, okay, so then, so, hold on, one more kid, let me just give me a <laughs> Okay. Okay. That's not running. Okay. Okay, that's story. Thank you. Bye, kids. Okay, so, I knew the police were looking for me, and I had this, you know, radical idea that I had refused to go to treatment before when they had sent me to jail, but this time I was gonna go to treatment. And I was really serious about it. Um, But I, so I had a suitcase packed in my closet and I was, you know, I had some uh, suede Adidas and some other clothes. So when I discharged from jail, I would have some clean, you know, nice threads to wear instead of having to go out of gym clothes because I gained 50 pounds or whatever. And when they arrested me, they came in a confidential informant told on me when they arrested me i just had this really weird feeling and i was like you know what i don't want to come back to this room i want to come back to this fucking tenderloin i don't want the shit that's in the closet i don't want any of this stuff anymore i'm gonna leave it all behind and i'm gonna go try something totally different and that was the last day that i ever used that was you know 19 almost 19 and a half years ago and uh you know, I went through a, a program for criminal offenders. I was county parole there, and then I lived in sober living in the central line. So I, literally, I was in sober living where I was selling and using drugs. So that was very strange
3: hmm.
4: um, dealing with that. And, you know, I lived in sober living for four years. They, they say some people are sicker than others. Like, a lot of the things that I went through, you can do any of that stuff now. Like, um, I was in treatment for jail treatment and regular treatment a lot of that stuff that's not available anymore i was in the whole process was six months now they want to turn you out in 90 days i was in sober living for four years um if you could stay six months sometimes now your lucky year here is like a stretch so i just you know chugged along and did the things we do
1: hmm. were you a step person or i mean what what do you credit your sobriety with
4: You know, I tried everything, and I do, I mean, I do, I go to 12-step meetings, but I would say, to say that 12-step is, like, the only reason I'm still sober would be, really be a stretch. Like, I did LifeRing, um, I really liked the LifeRing workbook, I went to women's support groups to deal with trauma issues, you know, having been raped, and, um, dealing with all kinds of abuse from men that I was with, and stuff like that, I had, um. I was in therapy for seven years. Over this trauma specialist therapist, uh, I did aftercare after rehab, which um, a lot of rehabs don't even really offer anymore. Um, so I did 90 days of aftercare, uh, and I just you know I did a lot of different things. I was I tried, you know I figured I would try for pretty much anything. Like just like I would stick my arm out and try just about anything. I thought I would just try a bunch of stuff and just see what worked hmm. and. Um, and then over time, whatever I do for my recovery changes, you know, sometimes I go back to some things, but I really try to, um, do something positive for my recovery as much as humanly possible every day if I can. Hmm.
1: Tell us a little bit about your life right now. So you have some kids and then what do you do for work and whatnot?
4: Uh, so I am married with three kids. Uh, I own a home in the San Francisco Bay area. I went from homeless to homeowner. Um, <laughs> I run around $5 million with programs for San Francisco County. So I have a substance abuse credential, a domestic violence credential, a bachelor's in business and a master's in public administration. Uh, I'm a policy advocate and I uh, run the Lockstone program as a volunteer that I've been running through Reddit for four years now. And um, I do advocacy at the national and um, local level around um, harm reduction so I'm a really big reduction advocate uh and I have and I'm sort of a cat collector I have three cats and a dog and typical (laughs) stuff
0: Tracy goes on how did you um how did you meet your husband is he in recovery
4: he is not so we met at a hardcore show
0: what was the band
4: I don't remember we met we actually met through mutual we met through mutual friends outside of a hardcore show um and, you know, that's always, relationships are always strange when you've been a junkie. Like, what do you tell people and what do you not tell people? So my, my policy from the very beginning has been to be completely open. And I think we actually went, yeah, we did. We went to see Blacktar Heroin in the movie theater when we were friends. Right. Uh, so he knew sort of the portfolio of things that had gone on with me. Um, you know, everyone has to sort of navigate them, that, that themselves, but um i just be my using is such a huge part of who i was mm-hmm. that i felt like being transparent
0: is important. was he like wow you're way more hardcore than me <laughs> as a hardcore fan oh, <laughs> well yeah i mean he's can he literally
4: i mean he was 20 and i was 30 when we started
0: going out so yeah right. i think so and your book the big fix hope after heroin how's it doing
4: you know, I've traveled a lot with the book. It became, you know, it's, a paper, it's in paperback, a hardcover, and an audio book, which I recorded. So that was really fun. And I get, you know, emails every week about The Big Fix because it's a book where I talk specifically around the things I did in recovery as opposed to a lot of, you know, using... Um, I mean, I, addiction stories are fun. You know, it's fun to sort of um, relate to other, the insanity of other people's addiction and stuff like that. And I do have some of that in there. But I also thought it was important to actually go through sort of the nuts and bolts of what I did to, you know, maintain long-term recovery, which is, you know, kind of unusual. But, um, you yeah, know, I've lived a very insane life. It's kind of insane now how boring it is. Compared, I mean, how boring in a good way hmm. compared to all the things that I used to do.
0: The, the most amazing thing to me is as you're telling how you're the abscess queen you have to kiss your kids goodnight. It's such a beautiful, you yeah. know, juxtaposition. You totally. know what I mean? Like, it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, my kids know that I was a
4: junkie, and they know I was homeless. Actually, took my child to a graffiti art show, and it was, like, right where I could creep outside. And so that was a teachable moment. For me. I don't hide anything from them. I mean, they, to, their, to their ability to understand, like I don't get into some of the you know, more meaty things of what went on, but I think they need to, to know that um, their mom who sees drugs and I don't. I don't, you know, I don't drink now. I don't smoke pot. I don't do whatever. Uh, and so they, and I don't want them to get information about drugs from their little clients when they get to be 12, 13, whatever years old. I'd rather have them hear it from me.
1: Right. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Tracy, we got to wrap it up, but thank you for calling in. This will be up in um, a couple weeks. I'll shoot you a text and let you know.
3: Okay. Thank you. You're, you're, thanks for having me.
0: No problem. Thank you so much for telling a bit of your story. You're clean 19 years? Yes. That's amazing. Awesome. All yeah. right. I just got two years last week, so maybe I'll thank catch you. All. Yeah.
1: Wow. <laughs> All right, Tracy. Thank
0: you. Okay,
5: have a
3: good night. You Thanks. too.
1: Thank you. Bye. All right. Wow, she was really hardcore. Hardcore. She was more hardcore than than me. Wow, well, we don't know. I'm, a soft,
0: I'm sure she wasn't <laughs> masturbating in some fucking treatment center with a skinhead guy.
1: Probably not in a brain injury clinic. No, I'm I sure. Her on listen, no matter
0: how hardcore she is. I doubt she's as hard. to The best part, are.
1: which you called out, the best fucking part, was um, her kids kissing her kids goodnight. You know, she's saying this crazy stuff, and she's like, hold on, like, I have to kiss the other kid goodnight. It's yeah.
0: beautiful. Very, yeah. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't so beautiful. That's totally. for sure. Totally. So that was cool. That was interesting. That was yeah. different for us. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I was, hope it wasn't, uh, the, the connection was a little off. I hope well, that sounds all right. and she couldn't hear me, and I said whoa at a misopportune moment but what are you going to do what are you going to do what are you going to do so I'm going to tell you a story an exciting because Tracy was saying how um you know addiction stories are fun but how to get recovery is more fun yeah I'm going to tell you a beautiful story of recovery in my higher power are you ready I'm ready on Sunday I don't know the story no this is last Sunday yeah. Right. Um, on Sunday, I went. My beautiful fiancé and life partner was uh, doing something. She was going to get drunk with her friend at brunch. Yeah. And I went with our beautiful daughter and her cousin and her parents to Fire Island. Okay. And we all get on her dad's boat, and we went to Fire Island. And um,
1: so That's off of what, Rhode Island or... Are joking? Off, you joking. It's off. It's
0: on Long Island. Oh, Okay. It's like a. It's like a. A long strip of island that creates a bay between Long Island and the Atlantic Ocean. So it's a small, small island. It's probably half a mile wide or less. Hmm. It's a tiny little island, but it's very long. Awesome. It's called Fire Island, and it's there's no cars allowed out there. Okay. So it's like paradise. There's like a very gay town. There's a straight town. There's houses, get around, but like
1: mopeds, you walk. Is there mopeds? Maybe. I okay, never saw motor, motorized transportation. transportation motorized I never buses. saw any.
0: I mean, there's there's like cops with cars and stuff. Okay. And then people have bikes. Are they strapped? The cops? Yeah. Probably. I don't know. Yeah, I think there are guns allowed. Yeah, and right. I think they have... And, and like the people who live on Fire Island all year round, they get their groceries by boat. Really? Isn't that awesome? That's pretty wild. And like there's streets like on wooden boardwalks and it's like... Robinson Caruso or something but it's rich people and a lot of gay people yeah um anyway so we go to this this beach called Sailor's Haven it's a it's a notorious gay place Fire yeah. Island but the place we go to is very family oriented um if you go to the gay section like
1: everyone's naked just really? like naked everybody oh my god um yeah I knew that actually I guess I've heard Fire Island among like the gay uh community David Sedaris
0: tells funny stories about it yeah. but um but, this but is, don't a
1: lot of people, straight people go there? It's just like Provincetown. You like, don't the straight people go and just like check it out? We go to a very straight area. But don't straight people go to the gay place? Yeah. To just check it yeah. out. It's, yeah, it's wild. It's yeah. like Pinocchio
0: yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, but we go to this beach called Sailor's Haven. And this is not a gay story or a people story. This is a higher power story. Yeah. Or, you know. Anyway, so we get there and the water is fucking wild. You know, yeah. the waves are huge, like 20 foot waves. And me and Linda's cousin are like, let's go, you know. And we, we run out there and we get into, and the waters are, waves are crashing on us and we get past the breakers and we get past the place where the the depth of the ocean dips out, you know what I mean? Like where it gets real deep. Yeah. And we're probably twenty five feet out and we're swimming and talking and whatever, hanging out. And we, just
1: you, Who's out there?
0: Me and uh, Linda's cousin Marius. Okay. And we're just swimming out there and uh, and I turn around and I see and the first feeling is the ocean is so powerful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. when people talk about higher power when you're in the fucking ocean. Yeah. And like, you know, you don't want to get toppled by a wave, but you don't have a choice. I mean, it's just it's going to do what it's going to do.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so you feel very much like you're nothing. Yeah. And and then you get out there and you're just like a cork in the water and the the waves are swelling up and down and you're just out there and you go really high and you come yeah. down but you're safe yeah because you're not where the waves are crashing and i turn around and i look to the shore and everyone's standing up and staring out in the water and i'm like, like at you just
1: yeah, yeah. basically like something's going yeah on. and
0: i'm like shark? i'm like oh no and there i turn around And the water swells up so you can see, you know, out on the ocean. Yeah. And I see to the left diagonally, 20 feet away, this gigantic black head. And I thought it was a jet ski, but it was a whale. A whale's head. How did you not
1: tell me this? Was
0: 20 feet away from me. Yeah. Like huge. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just like, oh my God. I was like, oh my God. And it took me, like, a few minutes to be like, that's a whale. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then the water swings back, and I'm just, like, I'm kind of freaked out. I'd be terrified. Because anything in the water is scary. And me. the water was, like, rough that day, so yeah. it wasn't like the normal blue-green. It was kind of, like, blue-brown. Yeah. Because the sand had been oh, so turned so, up. Yeah, 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 So you can't see fucking shit. Yeah. And when I swim, I open my eyes, and you open your eyes in that, and it's just brown-black. Yeah. Just black. Yeah. And then there's a whale right there. Yeah. And I get scared. Yeah. And I, I'm like, Marius, the guy's name was Marius. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, the guy's name was Fred. I just wanted to call him Marius. I'm like, Marius? <laughs> and um, I said, come over here. Because I didn't want him to die. I didn't want to die. I just yeah. wanted him to be near me. And I was like, you know what? It's like, let's go back. You know. So we swim back. And then we get on the beach. And uh, there's two whales out there spouting fucking blowhole shit yeah like and then, National Geographic shit then past it six dolphins what swimming in I've seen them out there before yeah. bottleneck bottlenose dolphins just yeah. fucking in pots yeah in the shiny simmer, shimmery sh- silver sun shining <laughs> down on these fucking beautiful animals and I love uh, nature and aquatic life like yeah. I love fucking sea life I mean yeah. I've always been into it and uh but the whale scared the shit out of me and then finally like 20 minutes go by and i'm like fuck it let's go back out yeah and uh and me and marius go back out and we get far out again and marius is facing me and the wave takes me up and i see to the other side another whale closer like 16 feet away Mm -hmm. huge just right there and i'm like holy shit and we um and we swam back, and my daughter was like, Daddy, I saw the whale was so closed. It was just, it that was insane. insane. It was is, insane. How did you not tell me about that after it happened? I was very sunburned. i <laughs> tired. It's a long day. <laughs> I just, because I knew, I, wow. I, I wasn't even saving it for Dopey. Yeah. It was just like... By the time, like, we had a long night, like, there was no time to call you. You know what I mean? Like, and then when I talk to you, you have all your relationship comings and (laughs) goings. And I have all my problems. Yeah. I never got time to tell the whale story.
1: Yeah, we just talked about problems recently. Yeah. Problems and growth. Yeah. Or lack thereof. Can you believe that story? It's insane, dude. It's psychedelic. There's some psychedelic sobriety. It's scary to see a whale that big. Dude, I see anything. I see a shadow underneath me, and it's
0: scary, yeah. Dude, they're so big. And their, their skin, it just looks so hard and alien Yeah. because they have to swim underwater like so many miles at a time. They don't come out and hang out. They're these giant submarine animals
1: yeah. with these
0: big brains.
1: That's wild, dude.
0: Isn't it? I mean, totally. Total psychedelic crazy thing. Totally. When I used to get really, really high, I would always imagine because, you know, the ocean is not all explored. Yeah. Like, there's a ton of the ocean that nobody's been to. Yeah. So I always wonder if there's, like, some place that all the whales and the dolphins can hang out. and talk telepathically with each other. <laughs> well, didn't
1: you – you heard about the guy um, – uh, there was a – I think he was, like, a neuropsychiatrist, um, and he was a professor at Harvard, and he got really into isolation tanks. I think it was around the time of the movie Altered States. They might have even, like, based it off of, off of this guy. And so – you know what an isolation tank is? A sensory deprivation tank? Yeah. Have you ever so, done that? No, I was going to go. There's one near me in Somerville in Boston. and It's always booked. There's like four tanks and they're booked like 12 hours a day. Uh, I'm going to try to go actually in the next few weeks. So Do anyway, you lie? Is it one of those salt water things? Yeah. So through the opination isolation tank or a float tank is – it basically makes it like really easy to like get into like a meditative state. There's like – um, a bunch of salt water, you sort of float on top of it, and it's body temperature, and you're in this like little pod, and basically, it like gets rid of all sound, everything. You can just hear your breath, so it's like there's no basically like sensations for you to even like pick up on, you know, really except for your breath. So, anyways, though, this guy, um, this neuropsychiatrist, he got like really into doing uh, sensory deprivation tanks, and this is probably in like the 60s or 70s. I'm gonna get this wrong, and I, I forget the guy's name too. Um, so, anyways. He gets super into it, right? And he's doing it all the time. And then he starts taking, like, LSD and going in the tanks. I'm going to get the substances wrong because I haven't read up on this in years. He starts taking LSD or maybe even ketamine and going in the tanks. And then he starts going in the tanks near and having them installed next to um, pools where dolphins are. And he's claiming, like, he can communicate with the dolphins. When is this from? This is from like the 60s or 70s, right? And he's claiming he could communicate with the dolphins like while he's tripping in the isolation tanks near the dolphins. And I, I don't know. I'm assuming by this point in Harvard I'd let him go. Yeah. Is he dead? <laughs> is he still alive? <laughs> I, I read his Wikipedia a few years ago and I probably butchered that. There's somebody in the Dopey Nation that's going to reach out. And for some reason I feel like it's tied in with the movie Altered States loosely somehow. Um but it was pretty rad. You just made me remember it from... Uh, I wonder what the that, that actuality of that story is. I should look it up later. Should we play that voicemail? Yes. Okay, I'm going to play this voice memo, which is um, from Samuel from the... Um, where's he from? He's from Australia. He's from... He's one of the Australia crew. Oh, yeah, the Australia crew from that From Gucci chain yeah, yeah, yeah. and
0: fucking the, the girl. What's her name? Uh, not to meet her, it's, um... Uh,
1: Gabby. Gabby, yeah. And then the other girl, yeah. and the other dude. Uh, alright, domination Nation, so check this out, it's a great voicemail. I love the, the guy's voice. I love getting, um, memos from people from different countries.
0: Yeah, if you have a good accent, fucking send
1: us a voicemail. And keep it to, like, about, you know, ten minutes or less. Six six the to ten sweet minutes. sweet spot six is six, seven, 10. eight minutes.
0: Six under ten. Minutes. Okay. Alright. And have a, have a, put on an accent if you don't have
5: Hey guys, hey Dave and Chris, hey Dopey Nation, my name is Sam, and uh, I thought I'd just um, tell you a uh, story that's um, pretty dopey, so uh, here we go. Um, Before my drug habit had gotten too out of control, I was still just uh, snorting painkillers and smoking shitloads of weed at this stage. I went on a trip to India with a few mates. Um, pretty much within hours of being in the country, I managed to score some weed and this stuff the locals called charis, which is essentially hash. But the entire time I was there, I really wanted to get my hands on some opium, because I'd never tried it, and I really wanted to, but it, uh, it consistently eluded me. So after three weeks of relentless partying and travelling around the country, we were in Delhi with a few hours to kill before we needed to get to the airport. I still had a bit of Indian money that I wanted to get rid of and decided I'd try one last time to score some opium for the long plane trip back home. After prowling the alleys at night, we met a dude who said he could sell us some hash. I said yes, but asked if he knew where I could score some opium. He said he did. He took us to this weird little store with uh, these uh, ancient porno magazines directing, de- decorating the walls, and uh, we wait- waited for him. Uh, After 20 minutes or so, he returned with these two huge lumps of black shit. One was Charis, the other was opium. And um, obviously I was ecstatic. I finally managed to uh, uh, succeed in my my quest for opium. So we uh, went back to the hotel, uh, me and my mates, and decided to mix some of the opium in some tea and drink it. It gave us all a mild buzz, but overall it was nothing to write home about, and uh, I was disappointed. So um, we hopped in a taxi and started making our way to the airport. I still had these huge lumps of opium and charis in my pocket and wasn't going to risk trying to smuggle them onto the plane. So I had the brilliant idea of eating both lumps whole, thinking they'd just put me to sleep and I'd have a very pleasant flight back home. Stupid move. So we're lining up to go through security. There are these two dudes from California behind me making conversation about their experiences in India and uh, as we're talking, I start to feel very strange, really weak and wobbly in the legs, cold sweats. Um, uh, just my skin was crawling, and it was it was not good. It felt like something very bad was 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 happening, and so alarm bells start ringing in my head. I have no idea how much of this shit I've actually ingested. No concept whatsoever of what is a safe dosage. Uh, The Californian dudes are still chatting away, but I've stopped listening. I've turned white as a sheet and my stomach is turning. I feel movements in my bowels and think to myself, holy shit, I'm about to fucking shit my pants. The, the line is moving and I'm drawing closer to the security point. There are these guards everywhere with huge rifles and I'm trying hardest not to shit myself whilst still nodding idly along to, to the Californian dudes trying to maintain some semblance of, of normality. Uh, then my vision starts to go. I'm standing there with my eyes wide open as this immense blackness consumes my sight. I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm fucked. I'm go- I've gone blind. I- I'm fucking going completely blind. My-, my vision would return, then it would go black again, and uh, I'm still on the brink of spraying my pants with shit. My mates were ahead of me and had already gone through the security checkpoint. All I needed to do was just get through and then I could get them to help me. So I'm clinging to the rail, trying to guide myself along. I'm now completely blind. My sight isn't coming back. I'm trying desperately to appear normal, but finally I I can't hold out anymore. And I feel myself slowly crumble to the ground, like, like a fucking balloon that's just been popped, like, I just slowly feel myself sink, and, uh, darkness just, just take me. The next thing I remember, there are there are people standing over me. My sight has returned a little, just enough to make out this woman's face amongst the darkness leaning over me. I remember looking up at her and saying in this really weak, pathetic voice, Am I alright? And the woman replying, No mate, no, you're not. And then I lose consciousness again. When I come to the second time, I'm sitting in a chair, and there are two guards with rifles watching me. My sight has returned, kind of. Like, I'm still a, so, I'm still a little bit hazy, but I haven't shat myself, thank God. One of the guards kneels down in front of me and says in, uh, in broken English, ''Medical condition?'' And uh, I, I nod and say, ''Yeah, that's, that's right, me- medical medical condition.'' He uh, asks me if I need an ambulance or if I need a doctor, and I I tell him that I think I'm all right. That I just I just I just faint every now and then, and uh, he helps me up and escorts me through the security checkpoint where there's this lady searching my bag. Uh, my sight starts fading in and out again. Uh, it was really weird. It's hard. It's hard to describe. Like. Uh, You know, you have your eyes wide open, but from the corners of your vision, it's like this sort of staticky blackness that kept taking over my sight. So I'm trying my hardest to not look as fucked up as I am. The lady looks at me and says in this really staunch voice, where is it? And uh, panic just rushes through me. I start thinking, holy shit maybe I haven't disposed of all the drugs in my bag. What if I didn't? What if I fucking left some some opium or some charis in there? I don't know. I don't know. I can't, can't remember. I'm still so fucked up. So I say, where is what? She doesn't say anything and uh, continues plundering my bag. I just watch on in silence, waiting for the inevitable, waiting for her to pull out like a fucking joint or one of these lumps of black shit. The uh, the guards are hovering just next to me, also waiting for the inevitable, waiting for the drugs to come out and uh, to take me away. And I'm thinking, oh man, I'm gonna fucking end up in a deli prison. I'm gonna be like fucking Chappelle Corby or some shit. And uh, finally the lady finds what she's been looking for, and it's a fucking lighter, like a zip a zip lighter. So I feel this wave of relief. She says, Sir, you're not allowed to bring a lighter onto the plane, and I'm like, my my mistake, I'm 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 so sorry. So they give me back my bag and send me on my way, and I sort of start staggering off, still holding my gut, still feeling like I'm going to shit myself. My sight has, has mostly begun begun to uh, to come back, and then the uh, the lady calls out. She says, wait, sir, you've forgotten something. And I turn around and she holds up in front of everybody in the security this giant metal bong that I'd purchased that I'd clearly forgotten about. Uh, So, I, uh, you know, everybody's watching me. I'm still fucking white as a sheet and sweating, and I just quickly scurry back and uh, collect this this ridiculous bong with my tail between my legs. I'm like, ah, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, As as I'm walking away, I hear the the Californian guys look at each other and go, holy shit, dude, did you see the size of that guy's bong? And, um... So I rejoin my mates, get through the queue, uh, they hadn't seen any of this and asked me what took me so long, and, uh, I say that I'll, uh, tell them about it as soon as I find a bathroom, because I'm still about to shit myself. Um, so as soon as I'm seated on the plane, I just fucking pass out. Sleep through the, uh, entire flight, so, uh... Yeah, the opium charis combination did did the trick in the end, um, despite the, the the blindness and the fainting and the nearly spraying my pants with shit. So uh, yeah, that's the that's the story. Thought you guys might might get a laugh out of it. So uh, thanks, Dave and Chris, and uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation.
1: Cheers, guys. All right, thank you, Samuel. Love that crew. What'd love you that. Think? Love That's that a, Australian crew. That was a fucking great story.
0: I loved it. I love any story that takes place in India and
1: has drug seeking. I love taking too much and being in a public place where people aren't fucked up. Not like not like the voice memo from last one where he's at like a rave and it's like sort of okay. Do you know what I mean? But like being in some place you're not supposed to be in and being like fuck, I don't want to be this high.
0: You like stories like that because they're so because it's so random. It's so great, and, yeah. and it's such like alien shit, stranger. Uh, one a of strange my land. favorite
1: stories of all time on Dopey was the guy who took um, research chemicals and had to go to uh, his niece's birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese.
0: Oh yeah, that was remember that?
1: Story. That was hilarious.
0: I also love I love the idea of anybody who's not American on a lot of drugs and then being confronted with American stereotypes. <laughs> I just like the idea. Of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also just love this Australian hardcore dope. crew. I love the crew. group.
1: Yeah, you guys, all of you totally rock. And we love hearing from you. It's awesome.
0: Um, I think we're done. It's
1: good. Yeah, write us a review if you don't mind on iTunes. I'm
0: going to do the iTunes review of the week. This one is from uh, Rhymer. I didn't notice it's Rhymer.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's a reminder of the insanity. Five stars. For the recovering addict and alcoholic... This podcast recounts the complete insanity of the disease and the great lengths we go through to obtain our drug of choice. Chris and Dave tell hilarious, sad, and scary stories of active addiction while keeping it entertaining and captivating with friendly banter and sincerity that is unmatched. Unmatched! Unmatched. If you're looking for a reminder of what it was like, a way to keep it green, or simply a laugh, Tune in and hold on to your seat. You're in for one hell of a ride. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you. Wonderful. That's Rhymer. Thank you, Rhymer. Where are and we at? Thank you, listeners. We're done. Where are we at? That's it. An hour. We don't have to do an ad. No ad. I would like to do an ad for that store we used to get sandwiches from in uh, East Hampton, Parmesan.
1: That's going to be coming back. I'm looking forward to the Dude, Long Island recording session. I have session. to say, just, don't I just you be- miss it.
0: Just before we're done. We've recorded doping in a lot of places now.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe five My favorite places. is Long Island, I think. Where's your favorite? I mean, the most nostalgic is Lower East Side. Because we'll never go back. Yeah, but it just was also, it's where it started. It was, you know, your home. There it was, was the my fish, house. The fish tank. Lonely and, recovery house. It was, it was great. But my, probably the best setting is in Southampton because it's just so quiet in
0: the winter. In the winter, there's no nobody one's there. there. It's fucking fucking Parmesan. Parmesan. Well,
1: we what get was the, the name broccoli? Of the rob. What What is it? Broccoli, Rob, and chicken, chicken,
0: broccoli, Rob, and the fresh mozzarella and the and the garlic. It's amazing. Fucking, I could. We have food right now, but I could really go for one of those Parmesan sandwiches. So could I. We should tell them and see if they'll give us free sandwiches when we're out. Yeah, if you guys are ever in East Hampton, check out Parmigiana. You no, know, Be- uh, Southampton. Eeps, either way, yeah. if you're ever in Southampton, it's a beautiful, picturesque town, and in the middle of the town is a restaurant called Parmigiana, yeah. and they have the. <laughs> and in the to- back, they have a takeout booth. But they're kind of jerks there. But the sandwiches are good. it's way great. overpriced. Yeah. But <laughs> besides, besides the fact that they're kind of jerks yeah. and it's way overpriced. The fucking sandwich. And th- half the time they're like, we don't have the bread. I know. <laughs> and they're dicks about it. They're never nice.
1: But the sandwich is always good. Totally. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's hard to get good hired help in that area, you know? Why? Because there's just a bunch of fucking, I mean, they're used to just dealing with these snobby fucking. But
0: the, there has to be people that live there just to serve
1: them. And they run. They run
0: Parmesan.
1: Parmesan. Okay. Thank you, Dopey Nation. Drop us a review. Like us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. And like us on Facebook. And stay strong. Us on Reddit. Check out Tracy's book, The Big Fix.
0: Yeah. And her Instagram is fucking great.
1: Instagram's great. Tracy
0: something or other. You can find her through our Instagram. Yeah. Anyway.
1: All right. Thank you, Dopey Nation, and toodles. Stay strong. Dopey Nation. I forgot to add Cormac's cover of Good So Bad last week, so we're going to close with that. Doodles.